Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the JW Surety Bond story with my friend JD Weisbrot. How's it going, JD? It's going great, Joe. How are you? Doing great, doing great. So, JD, before you introduce yourself, I want to say this. I have been in this logistics supply chain business for a long time, and I've always heard the surety bond. I know the company I worked at, we had a surety bond. But I don't know what it is. And I suspect I'm not the only person going, I kind of know what it is, but I don't know what it is. So stay tuned. JD is going to take us through the basics and the advanced course of what uh, surety bond is. But first, JD, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. Happy to. So JD Weisbrot, uh, President and Chief Underwriting Officer of JW Surety Bonds. I started this company almost 20 years ago in uh, 2003. And, and where are you guys based? So, yeah, we have one office. One office, however, we're licensed in all 50 states, so we service the entire country. I guess it doesn't matter if you have one office or four at this point. It's <laughs> Not anymore. Not these days. No, it's nice. Technology is a beautiful thing, brings people together. So, yeah, we have one office, which has grown significantly over the years to house all our people. But yeah, we're in a little town called Pipersville, Pennsylvania, which is about 45 minutes north of Philadelphia in a little tiny suburb. Very nice. So what is a surety bond? <laughs> <laughs> or as people mispronunciate them, what's a security bond or what's a, you know, we hear all different variations. Joe, there's a lot of different type of surety bonds out there. Tons. The reason why I was interested in talking to you today is because we are going to discuss in particular the freight broker bond, which is also known as the BMC 84 surety bond. And we'll get to that. But there are surety bonds all over the country doing all sorts of different guarantees that you wouldn't even know. And probably the most common is performance and payment bonds for construction. So by law, by federal law, surety bonds are required to guarantee public construction projects. So if a new school is being built, you know, that school's being built with taxpayers' dollars. Right. You have to guarantee that that project's going to get completed. So in between the school district and the contractor is inserted a surety bond that guarantees the completion of that construction project. And that's where we fit in. So we're a surety bond, uh, surety bond brokerage. That's what we primarily do, even though we just started jumping into property and casualty insurance. But um, that's one of the most common type of surety bonds out there for construction. I, I remember uh, the logistics company that I worked at, we were on a main street. And I remember we one day, we, nobody came to our office. Yeah. We get occasionally carriers. And I remember we said, we want to go, we wanted to get a little sign. Why not? Right? We're on a busy street. And I remember talking to the sign company. So, well, you're going to need a surety bond for that. <laughs> or maybe it was the city, one of the other. And I remember thinking, we're putting a sign in the ground and the, yeah, and the deal? bond was cost more than the sign. <laughs> and I remember like I was talking to the owner of the company. He was like, this is madness, Joe. Let's just, just go by the sign and put it up. I was like, well, I don't, I don't want the city to come and say, take it down. Right. Yeah. 
So in, in that situation, what, what, what gives? I mean, I'm buying the sign. I'm putting it up. Right. That's actually a pretty pathetic, like, observation of, like, of what a surety bond can do. Because if I got that request in saying, someone needs to put up a sign, they need a surety bond, I'd say, oh, my gosh, can't, like, there are so many better uses of surety. Oh, and by the way, there was a party store across the street from us torn down. I mentioned it to them. I said, I notice you don't have a sign. And they go, we would get one, except the city it wants us to. And I go, surety bond. Surety bond. <laughs> and, he, and he said it was expensive. And he said, we just thought, you know, we're at a busy, busy street. People know where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the devil's always in the details with any type of insurance contract. And the same goes for a surety bond. So my assumption is in, in that case, that if you were to put up a temporary sign, whether it be just, you know, in the ground or whatever it might be, that if it in any way disturbed the public sidewalk right. or streets, then you the bond would guarantee that you would have to put it back to its original condition, which is pretty basic. But so, you know, so we don't see surety so, bonds like that all that often. So I would have to pay, I would pay. So let's just say, I don't know what, I don't, let's just say it was for $5,000. Sure. How much do I pay for a $5,000 bond? Give me a range. I mean- the uh, hundred to three hundred bucks, and so how do you at that point say, yeah, if if Joe screws up and cracks all the sidewalk, I pay five thousand dollars out? Yeah, I mean that's what ends up happening is you know if you put yeah if you put some kind of sign there, in there, there is a moron in Michigan who just cracked a whole bunch of sidewalk while digging a hole, <laughs> destroy the sidewalks, and then the and then the uh, the city or also commonly known as the obligé in the party. You've got the obligé. That's the party that's requiring a bond. They say, well, they banged up the sidewalk. We have the surety bond we can make a claim upon, and the insurance company will have to cut us a check to fix it. That's the intent. And yeah, with freight brokers, we'll get into more of the mechanics of why it's required. But surety bonds guarantee something, and it can be a number of different things. So I, that cost me a couple hundred bucks. Let's just say 300 bucks. Some of it clearly went to the insurance company and some of it you got a, basically a sales fee. Correct, a commission. Okay, so basically that's it. So surety bond, why don't we just call this insurance? So it does fall in property and casualty insurance. Surety bonds are a product of property and casualty insurance companies. They're offered by admitted insurance carriers. It must be a little, a little tweak different though, right? It is. You know, it's funny. Surety is actually like a decimal point compared to the relative massive insurance industry. The entire surety industry in the United States does around $7 billion in premium. Well, it's, it's multiple trillions and trillions when you're looking at the greater scope of property casualty insurance as a whole. Auto and everything, car, you name it. So we're actually very small. That's why we're a niche that is usually commonly misunderstood. Right. We'll come back and get a little more detail, but I want to understand a little bit about you. So where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights. Tell us a little bit about you before you started JW Surety Bonds. Sure. So born and raised in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I'm married with three children and four Labradors. Two of them are puppies. I must be out of my mind, but <laughs> they're awesome. Went to a school local here in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Now, is it where you live now? Is that considered Bucks County? It is, yeah. Bucks County. And I still I live in the town that I graduated high school from. I met my wife in high school. We didn't start dating in high school, but just an awesome community around here. I lived in the same city for 38 years. That was Dearborn. And um, 
And then when I moved, somebody goes, what took you so long? Go, I didn't even know I could move. I didn't know. <laughs> I said, I wanted to live on a lake and there's no lake here. I, but I didn't know. I'd, I didn't know if there was a, a form to file. I mean, who do I ask? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I know. Sometimes you feel like you're just tied to zip code. Yeah. And then, then you see people who you're like, buddies, like, oh, I've been in Silicon Valley for 20 years. You're like, oh, I've been, I've been for Four blocks from where I was born. <laughs> I, I live about four miles from the house I grew up in. Yeah. So so where'd you go to school? High school locally and then Bloomsburg University in Pennsylvania, actually not far from Wilkes-Barre. Oh, yeah. That's where my mother's from, a mining yeah. town there. I was, telling, I was telling JD, my mom and her whole family moved from a mining town in the, like the 40s. They moved to, to Michigan. And working in a mine, it's, it seems glamorous. It seems nice. But uh, I guess they didn't enjoy it as much as they should. So they moved to Michigan during the war, which was a pretty good gig at the time. So, so what did you study at school? Business and communications. Uh, actually, I, I originally went to become an educator. Love kids. I've always, ever since I was a kid, I always loved being around kids. And I had no problem with public speaking. Summers off sounded great. But about halfway through my college career, <laughs> embarrassingly so, I think you needed a, a minimum of a 3.6 GPA in Pennsylvania. And I was like 3.1, maybe. <laughs> and I just tried my darndest, but I couldn't hack it. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll go into business. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I always joke, there's certain businesses you never hear like a teenager go, yeah, someday I'm going to open a surety bond company. Nope, you never hear yeah. that. I, no. I tell my kids this. I know lots of people and sell insurance, sell cars. You never hear anybody in high school say that. So they realize at some point, hey, this is a bad, not a bad gig. So how did you get into the gig you have? Yeah, it's funny. Like, like you were saying, most people have never even really heard the word surety. Or if they have, they have no clue how it works. So it's always interesting. My kids, their friends will say, what does your dad do for work? My kids have a hard time explaining it. They're like, I don't know. It's, he sells paper. He sells wishes. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> right, right. Well, I got into this industry uh, because my father was in this industry. So I, I've heard about bonds my entire life. And much like my children, I had no idea what he did. So I graduated from Bloomsburg in 2000. And shortly thereafter, I started this company with one employee. And that employee was fantastic. If you're listening, Patsy, hi, how are you? <laughs> Yes, she's since retired. And then a couple of years later, my younger brother, Michael, I have two brothers, two younger brothers, Mike and Eric, both of them whom work with me. Nice. And Mike graduated from college. And I said, hey, man, I started up this little company a year ago. Want to do it with me? <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun. One of the best decisions I ever made, you know, because you have to trust your business partners, obviously. Anyone who's been in business, it's a big leap of faith to trust your business partners like you do family, right? So I figured who better to trust than family themselves. And it's been incredible. Yeah. And if there ever is like a disagreement, like with a business partner that you're not related to, it'd be inappropriate to like ever fight and wrestle in the office. But being brothers, you're like, no, I mean, we've been, doing, we've been doing this for a while. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that you've been in business about 20 years. So let's jump back into like the logistics and transportation side. So there is a need for, I, I know trucking companies and brokers, they have surety bonds. Is there, is that the only people we're talking about? Uh, freight brokers primarily. Okay. Yeah. So trucking companies have insurance, surety bonds. So, so 
freight brokers end up with in surety bonds. And why is that? So it is a mechanism and a requirement because, you know, freight brokers are the intermediary. They're standing in between, you know, shippers and carriers via their brokerage agreements, and they're providing a service. They're putting parties together in exchange for a fee. Well, that money flows from whomever's sending the goods to the freight broker, and the freight broker ends up paying the carrier who actually moved the load. So you have this inherent risk of what happens if the carrier doesn't get paid. How do we? Oh, so the say, let's just say the freight broker goes out of business, or just for whatever reason says I, I, that carrier screwed me. I'm not paying them. And so, is this in the contracts that we all signed that we'll have we a freight broker is going to carry surety bond? Is that a requirement of the government? It is. That's a great question. So the FMCSA, you know, prior to the Interstate Commerce Commission going back some years, used to handle this. But they they recognize that we need to be able to protect carriers from lack of payments. So what's the best way to do that? Well, you insert a surety bond into making sure and guaranteeing that those contractual payment obligations are met. Then they said, yeah, this, this is a great idea. So now for you to get your brokerage authority, you have to have a surety bond or a trust on file. And I'll go into the differences between the two. So let me ask, let's go through a scenario here. So let's just say I start a little brokerage and um, I call you and I say, Hey, I'm getting my authority. Will you give me a surety bond? How much, how much is that surety bond going to be for? Great question. And I want to tell you a little bit about the process too, because we developed our own software since um, we write so many freight brokers. I mean, we get over a hundred new requests a day. Really? We do. We see. We JW Surety writes 40 to 45% of every single freight broker in the country. Whoa. <laughs> so we're very proud of that. Well, I know you told me, I mean, I don't know if it's public information, but you have a lot of employees over there. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we've gone from my one single employee to just over 70 full-time people. It's a lot of surety bonds. <laughs> it's a lot of surety bonds. We write a lot of surety. So in any event... We have a software that we've created. So if a freight broker wants to get a bond, they would go to our website. It's it's very user-friendly and say, you know, choose what bond you need. There's a pop-up list and you just put in the basic information, company name, address, your name, date of birth, social security number, and all that is encrypted, locked down 100%. We've never had any data breaches or issues or anything like that. And then the submission comes to one of my sales folks. My sales folks does a precursory underwriting, sends it to my internal underwriting team. And we have what's called power of the pen. So we get to make the decisions on behalf of the insurance carriers, of multiple insurance carriers. So we're able to get- So, so they trust like, they trust you that you're going to do the right thing. Is that because of a long relationship or that, or did you get a surety bond? <laughs> no, no. In fact, I have a, our company has a couple of surety bonds that are required in a couple of various states, but- it's because of we've been in the, in the industry for so long. We're absolutely specialists of what we do. We are look we're since we're in the middle between our customer, the freight broker, and the insurance company. Right. We want a successful outcome for everybody. We want to be able to give them a surety bond that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. That's easy to get, to easy to understand. And then on the other side, we want to sell a, a surety bond product that's going to be sustainable for the insurance company because it is an insurance product, right? You have to charge sufficient premiums in order to cover your losses 
and there are real losses out there. Right. So, so getting back to it, I'm a, I'm a freight broker, a new one, and I say I, I want to get a surety bond, and I'm assuming there's a minimum one I could get just to go in business. So no, good question, but there is a standardized requirement. It's a seventy-five thousand dollar bond. Doesn't matter if you're new or been in business for thirty years. And that was increased, actually. Right. I remember when they increased it. That was probably, what, eight years ago? It was October 1st, 2013. It pushed – by the way, I don't know that this is true. I just remember people saying this is going to push some small freight brokers out of business. The company I was at, it was not a, a big deal. I remember we were just like, why is this pushing anyone out of business? I think you know a lot of that rhetoric was coming from the alternate product to – a surety bond, which is called the BMC 85 Trust, which also satisfies the FMCSA because the whole trust business model was almost like crumbling before their eyes. And I say that because a surety bond, you don't, you know, you're applying for insurance, but it's strange because it's not insurance that protects you. Normally, that's why I buy insurance, right? I buy insurance for auto and home right. to protect myself. This is the opposite. You are required to buy a surety bond to protect those that you're doing business with. So I have to get 75000 is what everybody has to get. But is there larger ones? Is this is Sam moving something that is way more expensive than 75000 And I, right. I decide I decide, or my carrier decides I need this. Or shipper. <laughs> or shipper. You know, there has been a trend over the past couple of years where big shippers, like C.H. Robinson, I don't know, you know pick, pick your flavor. They've said, you know, we're happy to do business with this freight broker. And we know that there's a $75,000 bond in place to protect our interests. However, if this freight broker just explodes and has claims like crazy and runs out of money, goes out of business, we don't want to have to stand in line with everybody else. <laughs> I get it. So, yeah. So I have seen a separate from the BMC 84 freight broker bond a separate bond required by shippers of an equivalent amount of like of 75,000 or 100,000. It's made it a little more uh, challenging because now you're getting to larger and larger exposure limits on a financial guarantee product. So getting back to it. So what do I, so $75,000 I pay? Well, give me a range that I would pay on that. Sure. For brand new companies, a lot of this is uh, the underwriting is primarily based off of the owner's personal credit history hard assets if they own real estate or not. So the cheapest rates that we're seeing and have historically seen are right around a thousand dollars annual premium. So I can do that. So I get that thousand dollars. So now I got a surety bond. You're my you're my guy. Your your team takes care of me. And um now I start doing business and I'm moving freight and a carrier does something that I don't like. Uh, I, I think they I think they uh, did a bad job and I don't want to pay them. And do they do they say how do they know to go after my surety bond? I'm not giving it to them, or do they already have that? <laughs> That's a good question. So it's all public information. If you have if you have any freight broker's MC number, you can look up on the FMCSA database. Yeah, but I'm I'm a freight broker, so I have a, a a public number that they can go after. Yeah, and that would say and that would say contact JD surety bonds for this one. Well, it would, at least it would say the insurance company that we wrote them through. But yes, you put in their MC number. At some point you're going to hear about it. So, oh, yeah. so and at that point, 
you call me and say, hey, Joe, what's up? And I say, those guys didn't do it. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. So I'm not paying them. And, and, and maybe they were four days late and I thought that there was a lot of damage to the boxes. And so I didn't want to pay them. And let me elaborate, actually, because there's one distinct advantage of going with our group opposed to, you know, my competitors. So normally with any of my other, any of the other surety bond providers that are out there, you get a bond, it's filed. The surety bond agency is like, did my job. Okay, super duper. I'm done. If there's a claim on that bond, it's the insurance company, which is directly reaching out to the freight broker saying, hey, there's been a claim. What we found is most of the time, if the, the freight broker doesn't know who the Hartford insurance is right. or who Travelers is, they know who they bought the bond from. So they'll often ignore claims that come directly from the insurance carrier because they're like, this must be bogus. So years ago, we implemented and hired our own internal claims guy. His name is Craig Hemler. He works 99% of the time on freight broker claims. We do this because we know the freight broker has relationship with us. So what happens is that carrier puts a claim into the insurance carrier. The insurance carrier immediately notifies us. And then we immediately notify the freight broker. And we say, hey, man, communication is key. Give us your side of the story. Give us a narrative. What happened? Nine times out of 10, we're able to successfully resolve claims without any type of issues. And, and what that might mean is I'm going to pay that guy 80% when I owe him or 100% just because you tell me to. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know. sometimes it's like, well, here's the deal. We we're going to pay you 3000 bucks to get the load from here to here within three days. Well, it was delivered in four and a half days. And so, you know, in, in the broker carrier agreement, it says I can discount by 500 bucks because you were late a day. So I short paid you by 500 bucks. Fair enough. Okay. It's perfectly allowable. Right. So we insert ourselves and we say, hey, freight broker, our customer, give us the story. What's going on here? And then the claims folks in the insurance company go back and say, look, the carrier agreement that you have with them says that they can do this. So if you want to dispute it, you can go into a court of law, but your your claim is denied. Got it. You know, I'm, I'm, I say this a lot on my podcast, but it's it's really how I feel business is best done is I don't care what you're selling or what you're buying. I always say you're not, don't date, don't get engaged, get married. And that means you vet who you're going to work with. So, you know, there's lots of companies out there who say, hey, I'll make sure you get the right carrier. There's also, I, I know uh, Cassandra Gaines has a new company. Well, it's not so new anymore. It's been, she's done a lot of business saying, here's who to work with. Here's who's not to work with. But my sense is that, you know, a lot of problems occur when you don't know each other and the expectations aren't set properly. And you just mentioned communication being key. And I'm also a big believer, like, you know, if we, you and I are working together and I say, JD, that just didn't go the way it was supposed to go. And you say, well, okay, Joe, sorry, maybe a discount or maybe you just say it won't happen again. And I, I don't like the idea of that transactional behavior because next time it's going to be my bad and you're going to say it's okay. Right? Right. And that's why I say married as opposed to dating. You know, when you're dating, you're like, you know what? That guy's a creep. I'm, I, I, I've had enough of him. 
when, yeah. when you're married, you're like, yeah, that guy's a creep, but I guess I married him. <laughs> so I guess I'm stuck. <laughs> anyway, so in that scenario, most of the time, you guys are able to resolve things without it going to the actual insurance company. But let's just say it did. You guys weren't able to do this just to so follow the scenario. That claim goes and then the, the insurance company goes, yeah, you're owed an ex- you're owed $4,000. We'll pay you the 4000 you're owed. Now, do they come back to me, the freight broker, and say, we had to pay that. Now you owe us. That's correct. And let me explain a little bit further about the, the transaction between the freight broker and the insurance company that's backing the bond. So a lot of people, again, there's a misconception that a surety is insurance for you. It's not. It's insurance for everyone else you're doing business with. So people have said, why do I need to pay an annual premium if I'm still the one responsible for paying claims? That's not how auto insurance works. And they're right. That's not how auto insurance works. The surety is an entirely different animal. This is why it's, that's why it's called, not called insurance. It's called surety. Exactly. So the reason why you pay a premium is because you are giving that premium in exchange for the surety company's faithful guarantee that this piece of paper called a surety bond worth $75,000 is indeed worth $75,000 and is there to protect people they do business with. It doesn't mean that you can't pay people and get off scot-free. It's more like a finance agreement you know, where you take a loan from a bank to pay your mortgage. You're paying it back. Yeah. Except... So for the bank, you're paying interest. With this, you're just you're signing an agreement with the insurance company, the surety company, that says, I guarantee to hold you harmless from losses. I will pay an annual premium in exchange of using that $75,000 of the insurance company's balance sheet, et cetera. Now, I get this. I'm, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm assuming at some point the government said, we're just going to put some guardrails on this. And we want freight brokers, they're an intermediary that if they, if, if for whatever reason, they are not playing straight, our whole economy slows down. Our whole way of life slows down. So we need them to be act in good faith all the time. And this is just one way to ensure that they're going to act in good faith. 100%. I mean, yeah, this is where, you know, surety is incredibly necessary to make sure that transportation is still functioning and flowing. Imagine if there was no guarantees that carriers could get paid. I don't know how you would rectify well, that. Well, it, it's a it's a funny thing because it, it it reminds me, I was talking to the people from the ports the other day. For the most of human existence, a boat couldn't go from Asia to Europe or from Europe to here. It just, there was pirates, the thing sank. There was just, <laughs> now that's a, such a rare occurrence that we forget that it even existed. Also, the idea that I could move something from Pennsylvania to California safely, that would have been not such a thing. Now we take it for granted that freight brokers and trucking companies and shippers work seamlessly. I'm not saying we're ever going to get rid of this, but this is something that was put in place probably a long time ago to say, this is how we're going to get everybody to act right. (laughs) Yeah. You got kids. It's kind of like you put those rules in place for the kids. Like this is your seat and you're not allowed to go over to this this other side of the seat, right? (laughs) Um, We put those rules in place and they've worked so well that it became our culture. Yeah. And and again, we take it for granted that we move stuff freely across this country. 
that wasn't always the way. There was there was other there was all sorts of I don't even know what you call someone who who steals uh, trucks, but it happened a lot in the past. And by the way, anybody shipping to Mexico, that still happens down there. Oh yeah. And so I remember talking to moving stuff down to Mexico, and the c- trucking company I worked for said we self insure when we go to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ooh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Tricky neighborhood. I'll, I'll I'll stay clear. <laughs> so it's just again. I think this is this is something the guardrails that was put in place a long time ago that forces us to behave. And and we look and go, we don't need to be forced to behave now. We are all trying to treat our shippers better. We're trying to sh- treat our carriers better. So we don't need it anymore. But I think this is a good thing. It is. There, there was some advocation for getting rid of the bond, which would be holy wild west if if the bond was ever dissolved or I mean, that's why Congress not only kept the bond in place, but increased it from 10,000 to 75. Yeah. And you know, by the way, I, I say this sometimes I, I know banking regulation, banking regulation, you go, well, yeah, the banks would all be lobbying against banking regulations. No, they don't. The biggest banks lobby for regulation. Why? Sure. Because it knocks the bottom of the market out. And I remember that's what they were saying when the bond price went up. But even a, the bond price or the surety bond price going up, I don't think it knocked too many people out. I mean, if I can get a bond for $1,000, I have to be a I have to be living really on the edge that I can't come up with $1,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> 100 bucks a month, right? <laughs> that was some of the argument that was being created back in 2013 that it was just going to be you know, you're going to put the small mom and pops out of, out of business. 98% of my business is mom and pops. Right. Now, I could see if it was, hey, the bond went up to um, a million five and that's going to be $10,000. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get that might knock some of the bottom out and maybe that's driven by the big brokers. But this, I, I think, is a good thing. So. Anyway, let's switch gears. So you've been around for 20 years and you sell mostly two freight brokers? For the for the BMC 84, absolutely. It's a big part of our business um, and our our market share continues to grow every year. By yeah, you said it's 45% of the freight brokers. And now, am I wrong to say this? I've, I didn't make this number up, but I quote it all the time. There's about 17,000 freight brokers in America. So the, the last, we usually get data from the FMCSA on an annual basis. You know, a new freight broker is going out of business every day and a new one starting up every day. So depending on the snapshot in time, I'm not certain as to when the most recent snapshot we had was, but it was over 21,000 the last okay. time. I well, that's in, the, that's in the neighborhood. Yeah. And we, we currently write something like 9,500 policies. Damn. For, <laughs> so we're writing quite a bit. And, you know, we were able to do that because we represent every insurance company that is interested in writing the freight broker bonds. We're making sure that we're, you know, in partnership with those groups. We have a great marketing team, and we were one of the first and only companies to come out of the, the gate when the bond did increase to seventy five thousand. That said, we'll still do it. We can get it done. So we were young from the rooftop, saying, "You don't have to go out of business. You don't have to take seventy five thousand dollars." put it into a trust. Oh, see, so that's the other way to go is, so when people said it's going to drive these little guys out of business, they were assuming they were using this trust product. How does this trust product work? Yeah, great question. So the trust is called the BMC 85. So 
the, and this the is BMC, BMC what? Yeah, so the surety bond is BMC 84. The trust is BMC 85. And are these out of FMCSA? Both FMCSA requirements. So again, 75000 bucks. Either the 84 or the 85 fulfills the requirements to be a freight broker. So the BMC 85 needs to be filled with $75,000 of your money, usually cash. Right. And so there are BMC 85 trust providers out there that were really fighting against this increase because obviously if all your customers- Right. Yeah. And they could see how their business would. And it used to be, what was the old number before moved to seven? 10,000. Yeah. So a lot of people could come up with $10,000 as a trust, but could not come up with the 75. 75 grand. Yeah. I mean, unless you happen to have, you're sitting on a ton of cash and you said, ah, sure. And it's not, it's not gaining interest in that trust or is it? It's not gaining interest from my knowledge. And you see, you're potentially losing $7,500 a month if it was sitting in the, I mean, $7,500 a year if it was in a. Sure. Right, high interest bearing. If, if it was, it was, yeah. Well, if it was in the market or something. I mean, the market returns what eight, eight, nine, ten percent. Sure, and not only that, but so the only people who can file a BMC eighty five trust is a approved BMC eighty five trust filer. And how do they make money? So they charge you a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks for the privilege of holding your own money. <laughs> And then if, if there are any legitimate claims that come presented to them, they're paying the claims with your money. <laughs> seems, seems about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and if they do pay a claim I'm, with I'm your get, money. I'm going surety bond every day. Well, I mean, clearly I have a bias, however, if you put them side by if side. If I put $75,000 into a, a bond, into an investment, and it just pays very little, and I call it my my JW surety bond, uh, or surety bond investment vehicle. It pays for it. it. That would pay for the surety bond every year. Just the interest on seventy five grand. Yeah, it would. So I, I mean, I don't know. But. So, 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 yeah, you're biased, at, and I don't know enough about it. But it just seems at face value that it's a better deal to go with uh, surety bond. So I have a question, and I, I don't know if this is. It, if, if this is actually impact surety bonds or if it's a different part of our business. But there was recently an article that my buddy Ryan Shriver wrote, and it was about, I think it was C.H. Robinson was it had brokered some business to a carrier and that carrier was in an accident, or I think it was an accident. And then it came back to Robinson. Normally, they say that's not Robinson's responsibility. They just pick the carrier, and then somebody said, "Well, they got some deep pockets over there at Robinson. Let's add them to the lawsuit." And apparently, they were added to the lawsuit, and a, a judge allowed it. And then I think wow. it went up a level, and it was still approved. And so Ryan, my buddy Ryan over at uh, Metafora, he's also an attorney. He wrote that this is this is kind of a chilling impact on. Freight brokerage because we've never held them responsible for this. Well, sure. I mean, it would again not an attorney, but it would appear to me that that would fall solely on the responsible of uh, responsibility of the insurance carrier of the carrier. How how in any way could the freight broker be responsible responsible for any type of auto? Well, you know liability? how any lawsuit works. You say we're oh, going to yeah. add 
Joe, and then we're going to add JD because he's got all that money, and then we're going to add JD's friend because he's got money, and sure. then you just keep uh, adding yeah. it. Up. See what sticks <laughs> on the wall. Just keep throwing. Yeah, that's unfortunately we're you know fairly litigious society. So well, I just heard know. I just heard this from somebody who sells insurance in this space that we've had some medical malpractice reform, and some so as that regulation kind of pushes or remove some potential lawsuits. A lot of those guys said, hey, where's the next great place to work? Transportation, logistics, the supply chain, lots of problems there lately. Let's jump on and see if we can't make a few bucks. So anyway, let's uh, let's switch gears and talk a little bit. Well, anyway, getting back to it, that that's a more of what I just described about the Robinson thing. That's more an insurance problem, not a surety bond problem. Am I right? Correct. You are. All right. I'm getting the hang of surety bonds. So, so I want to ask you just a little bit about your company. So you've grown from just you and Patsy 20 years ago to your brothers and now 70, 70 people in the company and with 45% of the market. Uh, what, what makes you guys successful? How did you get there? I mean, I know there's not a, a, an easy formula, but give us some sense of maybe, maybe it's a few failures that you learned from, but why, why have you been so successful? I think, uh, you know, the primary recipe for our success uh, was a number of things. You know, you know, they say timing's everything. Well, it, it was. I mean, when I started the business, No. 3, I had a tiny website. And when my brother Michael joined, he expanded the website because he has a background in computer science. And he was saying to me, JD, there's like no competition for surety bonds online. It's really strange. So he said, well, how do we get, how do we, get more and more consumers to our site to, I mean, most people don't know what a surety bond is. So we're like, we need to educate them. We need to have a ton of content on our site that explains the what, the where's, the why's, the how's of, of surety. So we've gone to great lengths of doing that. We also want to make sure that we had a customer experience that was really easy because surety oftentimes it's the first time that anyone's ever even right. heard well, that, of a bond. Yeah, that's exactly it. You start a business and somebody says, yeah, I guess I was a good freight broker. I could sell a lot. And now yeah. they're telling a surety bond. Oh God, now this is getting real. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to run a company. I just, I'm a good sales guy. <laughs> yes. So we always just prided ourselves on making the process very easy, affordable and, and quick, you know, this is red tape. Like no one wants a surety bond. No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I'm going to buy today? It doesn't happen. So, you know, we wanted to make it really easy and just painless. So I'm really happy to say we have like thousands of reviews. I think our average is either a five star or 4.99. On your website? Yeah, it's on our website, jwsuretybonds.com. What I'll do is I'll put a link, any links you get, you or Michael give me, I'll put a link to those in the show notes, including your like LinkedIn, your website, anything else you guys. By the way, one of the other things I know your brother Michael had was the ultimate guide to freight broker salaries. Yes. Let's put that in the show notes. So anyone who wants, yeah, I'll link to it. That'd be great. Yes. And so, and. And you're you're referring to my youngest brother, Eric. Eric, Eric was brought. Oh my God! Nah, no, that's okay. <laughs> you mean you don't know my brother's Joe? What the hell, man! No. So Eric is the youngest brother, eleven years younger than me, and he does all of our marketing. All right. Anything Eric gives me, or even Michael gives me, or yeah. we'll put those in the uh, in the show notes. So uh, link to that. So I guess that tells me. You, you are pretty close to freight brokerage. <laughs> that, you wouldn't be doing these salary guides otherwise. 
That, oh, that's definitely true. Yeah, we have a couple of ebooks, which is helpful for either new and emerging freight brokers or ones that have been out there for a while. A lot of content on our site. Right. So anyway, you're talking about bit why you've been successful is you first off started off, you thought it was the, the wind is at your back a little bit, which is always a good thing. And then you got yeah. really good at the online and then the uh, driving traffic. But you also said you've really streamlined the process for buying this. Get it as painless as possible. Painless as possible. From what I understand, we are one of very few, if not the only, I can't say only company because as soon as I say that, I'll have someone else saying, hey, we do that too. But normally surety is a very paper-intensive process where it's completing a handwritten application, you know, it gets mailed in, a bond gets, back in the day, a bond gets typed up on a typewriter, and then it gets mailed back to you type of thing. So we've digitized everything. So everything from the application process to getting the bond. Uh, I mean, we have over like, 5,000 different types of surety bonds that you can put in your info, get approved immediately, put in your credit card info, DocuSign the agreement, and our system will digitally spit the policy out to you in six minutes. Yeah. Well, you know, let's face it, no matter what you do now, that's kind of the expectation. So I, it, it is. If, I'm, I'm, if I was buying a new house and I had to go through the mortgage process, my expectation has changed from everything else I touch. So someone can say, well, we're really good for a, a mortgage broker. I was like, yeah, that's good. But you're not good compared to how I bought my, my car insurance. You're not good compared to how I bought my surety bond. So we all have this, even if you know nothing about the industry, you're like, come on, it should happen quickly. <laughs> right? yeah. And it's funny, um, I was at my buddy's house the other day. He's an attorney and he said, I have to fax that. And I go, God almighty, only you and realtors. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, well, Joe, it's the law. I have no choice. This is how I have to do it. And I was oh. like, oh, I said, that's so silly. I can't even remember the last time I used my fax machine. Oh, yeah. No yeah. It's But anyway, the expectations have, have risen and you guys have maybe set the pace and, hey, we'll make this real easy. Come to our website. We'll get you done. Yeah. I love that. So. I want to I want to wrap this bad boy up, but before we do, I want to understand uh, something from you. So, answer in any order you want, JD. So, what's next for you? What's next for JW Surety Bond? And then, what's next for our industry in guard in regards to all of this? Good questions. So, I think next steps for JW Surety is um, we just started a little while ago a, a separate agency called Agile Insurance Services. Since we have so many freight brokers and so many customers, and we have, like I think, a total of 50,000 customers, all different type of surety bonds yep. in, our, in our ecosystem, all of those customers need insurance, every single one of them. So there you go. <laughs> I figured, you know what? Why not be a value add? We're already doing the tricky part, the surety part. Let's help them out with the property and casualty insurance stuff as well. So we started an internal wholesale agency that uh, it's called Agile Insurance Services, and we can provide property and casualty insurance to all of our customers. So we're really starting to ramp that up. Naturally, we're going to be hitting and have been hitting freight brokers and carriers because motor carriers, freight forwarders, uh, custom brokers, because we could do uh, general liability, contingent cargo, contingent auto liability, professional liability. Since, like I said, since we're doing the, the tricky part already, 
it's like, let's, we'll do the easy part for you as well. And then hopefully grow that division. So that's really the next big step for us is evolving to write additional products. Now, is that count? Is that also include like truck insurance or is that a separate business? I believe it, I believe it does include truck insurance, believe it or not. Again, because I'm a surety centric guy. I lean on my COO for all of right, right, insurance right, 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 right. Well, it makes sense though, because you've 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 gained that trust over the last twenty years. You you're doing business with them. It only makes sense. And let's face it, we all want that one stop shop who makes it easier on our our day to day. Because again, there, there's enough enough trouble just running a freight broker freight brokerage and growing it without you know the the, the must haves uh, becoming a hassle. <laughs> yeah. No question. So that's what's next for that's what's next for you, and that's what's next for your agency. So what's next yeah. for this industry? What I mean, what are some of the trends you're seeing that that uh, out on the horizon that worry you, or maybe make you excited? <laughs> We've just gone through some crazy times. <laughs> we have gone through some crazy times, you know. So my view in the transportation sector is is you know pretty narrow, frankly, since I primarily dealing with freight brokers, but we talk to them on a regular basis. We obviously did just come through the craziest, most insane past two years ever. One of the interesting things during COVID, Joe, was that there were more new freight broker entrants into the industry during that period than ever before. Right, right. So a good thing and a bad thing. Obviously, you know, people are empowered to start up their own businesses. Like that's the American dream. Awesome. Problem is a lot of these folks maybe didn't quite know what they were getting themselves into. So I've seen I've seen a lot of freight brokers jump in and then just after a year, they're unfortunately saying, you know what, I can't quite act it. They're close enough. Right. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You, you mentioned there's about 21,000 freight brokers. I think that's grown over the last few years, the last 10 years. And I've talked to different people about this. And, and by the way, my first job, I was a draftsman. My dad owned an engineering company. I was a draftsman. There's many young people now going, what is a draftsman? It, we would use triangles and compasses. We would draw auto parts. And it was tedious and difficult. And we got paid really well. And then the CAD systems came. And I worked on those CAD systems for years, probably five years, which I, I was never good at it. But I always was well-dressed and on time. So I uh, I was able to kind of skate by. And and then I became an engineer, which, by the way, we draftsmen made as much as engineers. We worked a million hours. We we got paid really well. In fact, when I went to engineering, the guys who worked for me and the draftsmen all said, oh, you're such an idiot. You're taking a pay cut just so you can be an engineer. And I was like, fortunately, I didn't. But most times you did. Well, anyway, you can't find a draftsman anymore. The CAD, the CAD systems came in and initially no impact. It was like just as many draftsmen. But over time, the technology just took them away. I see some of that coming for freight brokerage, but it, but during this this time, we we needed more because capacity was needed. And forget the new technologies that might take make it easier to get rid of freight brokers or have fewer freight brokers or go to the freight brokers of, who are tech centric. Shippers needed capacity. When shippers need capacity, freight brokers enter the market. Yeah, and simple. 100%. And so I can still see a trend where maybe in 10 years from now, there won't be 21,000 freight brokers. But that's also, again, if, if there's going to be dips and there's going to be 
big spikes up when people need freight brokers because they somebody said I couldn't find a truck. I don't care if you got great technology. I don't care if you've been around for 50 years. I need a truck today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's still it's still a relationship business. It's all connect, you know, it's connectivity. So to your point, yeah, if you need a truck, get a hold of a freight broker. They they have a place in this uh, ecosystem and they will continue to do right. so. I would not be surprised if there's fewer. And then, and again, I think the guys who stick around in the long term are going to be the guys who invest in the technology. And rather than managing 10 shipments a day, they say, I managed 100 or 1,000. And uh, that's that we're, we all see that coming. Oh, yeah. There'll be an evolution just like everything. If you're not evolving, you're done, and, frankly. And I think, you know, you've got a big company and I know you've got all these people. So I suspect you're using data in ways that you didn't 20 years ago. I think we're going to also see a lot of freight brokerage companies say, we don't necessarily connect a truck with a carrier. What we're doing is we're, we have the data and we're helping you do everything better. We're, <laughs> we move from farmer to factory worker to clerk to all of us will soon be data scientists. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I, just looking at our own business, even the information that we have from five years ago is different than now. I mean, everything just accelerates so much quicker and advancements. Yes. Yes. So let's wrap this bad boy up. Before you go, who's the sweet spot for JD, JW Surety Bonds? I want to say JD, but it's JW Surety Bonds. Who's your sweet spot? So the nice thing is, we touch all sorts of industries. So again, anything construction related, public construction, we handle all of that. Compliance bonds, like mortgage brokers, car dealers, anyone who has a license, they're required to get a surety bond. We write all of it and we write them in all 50 states. We just happen to be the biggest leader in the transportation space with the freight broker bond. So we're very happy about that. I want to continue to gobble up market share for the freight broker bond. I don't see why we can't. We've been continuously increasing. It's been good. And it doesn't matter if you're a brand new business or if you've been in business 40 years, we can help you out either way. Excellent. Excellent. And um, what conferences do you guys go to? Shockingly, not many. <laughs> I don't know if it's because well, I'm working it's, too often I was just going to say, but... it works for you, J JD. Stay home. Yeah. If it. <laughs> By the way, I do not go to a ton of conferences. People I say, I'll see you at, and I was like, I was like, I talked to three people a week on my podcast and exactly. a lot more off my podcast. So I'd always feel like I don't have to go to Texas to see everybody. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally with you, Joe. I, I do have a conference in November, but that's like a financial and private equity type thing that I was just curious about. Nothing to do with transportation or surety for that matter. So I don't know if that counts. Right. Well, Lots of conferences. You don't need to go to a conference, though. Um, what we can do is go to your website, and we'll put a link to your website and that freight broker. What is it? A salary um, survey or whatever. We'll put a link to that, whatever Eric gives me. We'll put a link to all those marketing assets, and you guys can reach out directly and talk to uh, JD and his team. Wonderful. Yeah, and JD, thank you so much. I really appreciate you going into the very, very basics of this business because, again, I think I always try and be the dumbest person on my podcast or listening to my podcast. And as I told you before, I always thought that'd be hard, but it's actually turned out to be pretty easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there in the same boat with you, Joe. No, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, I'm glad to be able to talk about this interesting product, usually misunderstood. So thanks for the time. It's been great to get to know you. Yep. Yep. Thank you so much. And uh, thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.